up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to uh, another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Um, I was lucky enough to have a chance to talk to Mr. Tate Fletcher today. Um, I first saw him on, I believe, the third season of The Ultimate Fighter. He was one of the contestants when uh, Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock were the coaches. I th- they may even have done that twice, but I, I, th- I believe it was the, the first time. He's partly responsible for all the hashtag death squad hashtags that you see out there. Um, anyone who listens to the Joe Rogan experience or any of those podcasts have probably heard that story before. Um, super humble guy, like one of those sort of like modern day Buddhas that has... Uh, uh, sort of level of positivity that makes you want to sort of be better, which I think we need those people in society to remind us that shit ain't so bad. Um, and dude has an awesome beard and mustache. So um, I, was, I was stoked that he, he took the time to, to talk with me. Um, we talk Homeland, The Ultimate Fighter, the, the, the season, you know, uh, stick fighting, burning old man gloom, Detroit, Blowing up gas stations, Darce Chokes, Eddie Bravo, Jiu-Jitsu, we talk repping your click, the action business, cock punching with Steven Seagal, and creativity. So, as always, make sure you go check out MikeMaxwellArt.com. You can click on the podcast link to, to see all the descriptions of all the shows. Uh, you can also click there. There's a icons that you can donate to the podcast. Uh, if you feel so inclined and want to throw a five or tenner at the podcast, you can do that there through PayPal. You can subscribe through iTunes through there, too. Just click on the iTunes logo, and it'll uh, pull up your iTunes. If you subscribe, it, all the episodes will show up automatically in your iTunes, and you won't have to go find them anywhere. Uh, if you don't like iTunes, you can go to the website, click on the podcast, and you will uh, have you can download the MP3 files right from there. Uh, so check out MikeMaxwellArt.com. You can also click on the shop there uh, if you want to go buy some original art or some prints. Uh, there's a bunch of Death Squad stuff up there, so all you Death Squad fans, you can go get some Death Squad prints that are available over there. I've done a bunch of stuff for Joe and um, some of the other comedians, and I'm doing a new project right now. And so there's some some stuff available up there. A couple of my t-shirts are up right now too. Um, the new one just dropped, but it's almost sold out already. But there's a few left, so make sure you click on the shop and and support if you can. If not, um, podcast is always free, and I'll I'll just keep doing it. Uh, I got uh, Kevin Christie is is lined up to do one on Monday, so um, look for that. I'm gonna try to keep this more regular. And, uh, yeah, I'll just check out MikeMaxwellArt.com, everything, uh, Twitter, MikeMaxwellArt. Uh, go follow the podcast on Twitter, too, if you could do that. Um, I'm trying, I'm doing my best to be more active. It seems so weird to have two Twitter accounts and not just post the same thing on both ones. So I'm trying to be more active over there. Just follow it so it has followers. I don't even care if you check it or not. Fuck, that's so weird to say. Ugh. All right. So, uh, with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tate Fletcher. All right. Let's 
give Kate a call here again. Hello? Tate Fletcher. What's happening, Mike? How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Good, brother. Um, uh, I want to thank you uh, for taking the time to shoot the shit with me, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I'm fucking excited. It's a great great way to spend the day. Yeah, awesome. Just, uh, the first half of the day, I was spent watching um, Terrorism. That's basically a factual account on Homeland. And uh, hard to get out of the front of the TV with that show on. And then uh, came down here to do this, man. I'm excited. Nice, beautiful. I've been. Um, I'm actually waiting for. Uh, I, I got Homeland on my uh, my library system, and I'm just waiting for it to come in. But there's like a line of like 43 people ahead of me. <laughs> it's it's fucking incredible, man. It's uh, it's one of those things. I was telling somebody about it. I don't know. A, a couple weeks ago, I was I was watching the first bit while I was in LA still, and and um. I was like, man, it's like I had things to do later in the day. That shit didn't get done. And I'm like, <laughs> I should go make coffee. That's not getting done. I can't even get up to pee. I can't, I've got the power to pause it, but I'm not going to leave my fucking bed. I'm just glued to it. It's, it's, a, it's dope, man. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you, do you have that type of personality, like that addictive personality where you sit down and just watch a whole Extremely, season? Yeah. yeah. I'm a consumer, and, and I have a voracious appetite. Yeah, that's the way it's been for, you know, everything. It's just like how I guide it, though, I guess. You know, whether it's been for jiu-jitsu or whatever my interest has been, it's just been like, I just want to I want to get a full experience of that, you know? Yeah, totally. Well, um, I think I, I first found out about you from, from watching the, the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, right on. Which seems like a long-ass time ago now, but it seems like the show still feels like, even the new ones still feel like, it kind of feels like a new show still somehow. I haven't ever seen uh, I haven't ever seen a, a full one. I've seen a couple different episodes of it, but um, it, I'm super excited right now, man. Uh, Bubba McDaniel's is on it. One of my buddies from from Jackson's, and you know, I think that Chael and, and Johnny will do a real nice job of uh, coaching on it. So it, it looks exciting, but it's, it's just not like one of those things that is right up on my radar. But I, I, I kind of want to make a point to watch it and, and spend time with it this season. Yeah, it's so weird. It's a, reality television is such a strange little animal that's built up over the last twenty years. But like for me, a lot of times I watch it and I fast forward through all the house stuff. I watch some of the training and then skip right. to the fights. A lot of the training, it's it's cool. I wish it was a uh, you know because as a fan and as you know like growing up and had my first interest in fighting and everything like that, and you, you'd read about these things. And that was when you know you like the lion's den or, or like, uh, pancreation, uh, AMC up in, um, up in Washington. And those guys, they were some of the first really big camps, you know? And, and, and you'd look at that stuff and you'd go, I wonder how they train or, you know, and, and I think for everybody looking around now, there's so many good camps that are out, out and about, but, um, to really get an insight onto like, you know, what the Greg Jackson, Mike Winklejohn kind of experience looked like for, for an athlete. And they only give like snippets of that. I think you know the fans get robbed a lot if that's your interest as a as an athlete. And you're looking at like, wow, what are what are you know conditioning workouts or what are you know uh, drilling workouts to get somebody faster to stay in the pocket? And they don't really go into that a whole lot. And I think that there's a wicked interest for that. I think people would dig it. Yeah, I think. Well, you know, I think just that show in general, probably. I think I feel like it kind of like legitimized a lot of the fight profession for for the UFC in terms of like showing that aspect like 
like the amount of training and work and you know both mental and physical aspects of it that go into it as opposed to like two brutes just kicking the shit out of each other in the right exactly like and which which is what it was for so long you know yeah i don't i think that it did too i mean it brought a lot of well it, it just i don't it's a weird thing though too that legitimizing something through television is such a evil trick in a way you know i mean because we also have snooki or, or whatever, you know, and I, I don't know, yeah, yeah. I'm sure she's a very nice lady, but, um, you know, it's like to have whatever it is. I remember you're in San Diego, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was down with, with Joe and, and Eddie at, um, the tattoo shop down there where they were first getting their first tattoos. Yeah. And I forget the dude's name, but they're, they're a great shop down there. Um, down on Ocean Park, I think it is. In, uh, and I, PB- I, just, I just went out for coffee and, and, uh, walking down the street and a dude walks by me and gets by like five, ten feet and he's like, hey! And I turn around and he's like, you were just on my TV last night. And, <laughs> and um, that whole day was like that. The, the next day after was like instantaneous and, and the people come up and they touch your face and they hey! And I'm like, you're touching my face, man. Like, And, and I talked to Joe about it I was like, this is the weirdest experience ever, you know? Like, nothing is any different. You're the same athlete, you're trained the same, everything else. It's just a lot of people have seen you. And somehow that being on TV all of a sudden makes it like magic for them or something. And Joe was like, you know, people are, they've got an intimacy with you that you don't understand. And that you kind of have to respect in a certain way because they're in their underwear watching you on television. You're in their living room and they think they know you. And it's a, it's a weird little trick that happens. Yeah, it's funny, like with this whole podcasting thing, like the way that that works, like getting such intimate information from somebody over a long period of time. Like, right. and now, you know, that was uh, sort of the beginning of, of the real, I guess not the beginning of reality television, but I guess for that, like real of a television show, like for right. the ultimate fighter, um, what's it, it was, uh, it seems like over the years with that show, like there's, there's been a lot of, uh, like set up where the fighters, like sometimes there's fighters that don't seem to want to coach. Okay, uh, they, they, they come in that are looking towards their fight at the end of the. Yeah, I think he means? Like just, Matt Hughes comes in, he's maybe not caring about training the guys, but he's worried about who's going to fight at the end of the show. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird setup sometimes. How how like coaching styles dictate what your lifestyle is? Would you, as a coach, uh, you know, you you run the you're the head instructor at a uh, Tenth Planet in Santa Fe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you do MMA coaching as well? You know, it's with the advent of all things televised and, and everybody. I was just looking, I, I went over to, um, I was downtown in Santa Fe the other, just last night, and I, I drove by this place, and it's like, a keto, half keto, MMA is, is on this uh, on this billboard, you know, behind this gas station. And, and there's that all over the place now, right? Where it's like, you know, where karate used to be, yeah. Like, just started to pop, and they're like, yeah. all of a sudden, all the karate places are like uh, scratching out nunchuck training and putting grappling or jujitsu. So now everybody does that too. It's like, well, I'm a black belt karate. I can teach this too because yeah. I'm just swinging um, movement to people, and I don't care how good I am at it. There's a, there's a lot of that that's out there, I think. And I think that's what's happening with MMA now too. I was talking, I, I just started a, a, a little podcast. Um, I've got. Two, I guess I got two things uh, that are waiting to go out right now that I'm waiting for Brian to put out. Uh-huh. But um, 
uh, one of them I was talking to, like we had Cub Swanson and Isaac Valley Flag and Little John Dodson and, and talking about that, you know, and, and like, because Jackson's right now, they put together a belt program where they have an MMA belt. And that's the first place I think that I've seen that happen. But to really teach somebody, like if they come into my school, 10th Planet, Santa Fe, you're going to learn grappling, man. That's, I'm going to do no D grappling with you. And that's what you're going to learn. And you're going to get to be a killer at that. Right. And we do kickboxing and boxing too. I've got some great coaches for that. But um, unless you really want to put it all together, that's a whole different conversation to, to kind of put the subtleties and, and the, the little ciphers that are in between the takedown and, and the boxing or to put, you know what I mean? It's like, if I start moving right off my take down into my grappling and, and all those things, those are the nuances of MMA and right. to be able then to get punched in the face and still execute whatever movement that you're looking for and to impose your will. That's a whole different kind of deal. And so when somebody comes in and they say, Hey, I want to learn MMA. I go, I don't know how to teach that to you. Cause you've got zero skills as far as, you got to be a triathlete for as a mixed martial artist. You know, you've got to be good at wrestling. You've got to be good at kickboxing. You've got to be good at grappling. Yeah, sure, exactly. And if you don't have one of those bases, it's like when I started out going down to drag, it's like I was excellent at jujitsu, and um, that was the thing that saved me because my kickboxing wasn't very good at that time. Was that but, your um, Was that your first martial art, jujitsu, or was it kickboxing? Yeah, no, my first martial art was actually uh, stick fighting with the Dodd brothers. <laughs> and we'd go down to Hermosa Beach and, and um, on the equinoxes and, and we'd scrap. You know, there'd be 300 people in a circle and like 15 or 20 guys would come and bang out with sticks. And, and you, that was the first time I ever did anything like organized. And it was dope. It was, it was cool. Have you seen um, that Vice documentary where it's um, fighting on Christmas and all no. the. Uh, I, I want to say that it's Peruvians. They all act really nice to each other all year, but they hold like specific grudges and all get hammered on what's right around the the winter equinox and uh, awesome. just box and then as soon as they're done boxing their their beef is squashed and they go on for the rest of the year how cool man they yeah. do a thing like that here in santa fe where they have a it's called the zobra and it's like it brings like catholicism and paganism and indian culture and all like all this stuff together it's like a it's like a high priest ritual kind of thing it looks like it's a trip but they burn they burn this big huge white ghostly kind of deal um in apogee and, and burn old man gloom and all the old but i like this fighting thing better that sounds awesome yeah i'll find that link and send it to you when uh I'm, when did you get to santa fe in my life or, or recently yeah you didn't grow up out there right you no, i grew up in michigan i was born and raised in michigan yeah you still kind of have a little bit of that accent i know even even dudes from michigan are like are you canadian I've got that. I've got it bad. Yeah, that's yeah, good. I uh, I just I've been hanging out with a lot of kids from um, from Quebec and Montreal. Oh, dope! I, I need to get up there. I've never been up that way, but I've been hanging out with them doing these art projects in Miami and down here in San Diego and a bunch of other things. I, um, lo- I love those people. Yeah, I, I first came out to Santa Fe in uh, ninety two. And, and um, did did training bring you out there? No, I came out to uh, there's a a college here called St. John's College, and I went to a classical literature program out here. That, that, that is the program they offer, and um, that's what brought me to New Mexico to begin with. That kind of running, running from New Mexico. I needed to leave. I needed to leave Michigan at that time, and, and uh, just a lot of stuff going on in my life. There was, um, or in all of our lives, in my little clique that I grew up with, a lot of. 
I've been, been hospitalized. I've been I've tried to get sober a couple of times and to not much avail. I just back in the same environment. It was really hard, and so I got accepted into this school. And I kind of I, I uh, it was the first time I kind of got a chance to recreate myself. I guess. Were you sort of experiencing a lot of the the um, like car industry failure at that? Was that a, a part my whole of- life? The whole thing. I mean, and what I'll say is that impacts you know uh, industry like that impacts the whole state in such a huge way. Like growing up is just it doesn't even matter if your family has a job. It's like you're growing up in an impoverished setting. It's like the the majority of the people are not doing well. You know what I mean? And 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 when I was a kid, it was like I grew up in like a factory town, you know, and that was the biggest employer there. And uh, my dad had a good job, but it's like everybody in the town, all my friends, parents, everybody is on the verge of being laid off or going on strike or something. And, and you know, like the school millage didn't pass one year because people didn't want to pay for public school. It's like, it's a really, it's, and, and you know, I mean, when you look at the old Michael Moore stuff of like what happened to Flint and stuff like that, that kind of permeates into the whole of the city. And it's a, it's a, or in the whole of the state rather. And it's a beautiful state. There's a lot of, you know, enrichment there in a lot of ways, but uh, there's a lot of that too. You know, you know, so, there's there's been a movement with artists um, moving into Detroit. Yep. Like buying up a bunch of the the homes in the neighborhood and moving artists in there. I don't know if awesome. it's going to do anything or not, but it's rad, man. There's, I mean, there's a bunch of the architecture there is beautiful. It's one of those places that, like, my grandfather grew up there, and um, you know, the street he lives on, it's. I mean, all those streets down there, off of Woodward and stuff, they're fucking gorgeous, man. The architecture is beyond compare, and it's like, you squint your eyes and look down the street, and it kind of takes you back to, like, what maybe it was like in 1920 or 1940. Yeah, that's awesome. the crashes that happened and when the riots happened in the 60s, they burnt the fucking city down, and then nobody moved back in, but there was no money for a gentrification of the city at all. So all those buildings that were burnt in the 60s, nobody ripped them down. People just abandoned it. They fled Detroit. And uh, and so it's a city that's kind of in a frozen time warp in that way. And so you've got these huge old brownstones that are just fucking gorgeous that you can get for three grand for a 6,000-square-foot house, you know? Um, it, it's wild. We filmed Red Dawn out there. It was one of the last times I went out. And uh, and it's just, you know, by, by live hotels, five-star hotels, there's like a little gas station we wanted to blow up and talk to the fire marshal and like, hey, uh, we want to blow this up. Are we going to have to see theater? Can we actually blow it up? He's like, oh, no, no, go ahead. Blow up whatever you want. Oh, you know, and then, just like, what? it's a free-for-all kind of, and, and uh, you know, running saws and, and uh, M16s and shit all through the night. Like, nobody blinks. It's not a big deal. That's wild. I wonder how yeah. much that will ripple out. I mean, I know we see it in a lot of cities, like a lot of places like Florida or where there was a, like, a major real estate bust, like how many ghost cities will eventually start to form in this country? Right. I wonder. Well, I think that, you know, it's a interesting thing when I, when I look at all that and, and I, and I look for hope, you know, and, and really that's, that's the, that's all we got is, is looking towards, you know, what's the high end of this. It's so easy to point out all the negativity and, yeah, I, and I'm sure. good about that in my own life. Um, sure. and, and it doesn't help me at all. You know what I mean? It, it helps me if I can fix it, but the wallow in it is, is kind of what we're trained to do as a, as a people, and it, and it just isn't useful at all. And so that's why I'm kind of excited about um, 
whether it's Twitter or, or you know Instagram or whatever the deal is, is that there's a community. There's these communities, these pockets, like like you and I being together right now. That, right. that are forming up of, of people that are are, are like minded or similar minded, and and that are moving towards something. You know, that that want to move out of that and want to create something, and we're in that business. And and I think that things like this, like this podcast, are important in that regard. That you know, it, it empowers and enriches and it, and it fucking gives hope. And if you can give hope to somebody that feels impotent, there's nothing really bigger than that. That That is that ripple. You know, I think it's happening, Mike. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, one of those ripples that have happened ever since we had our, our Darce Choke uh, Twitter conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been seeing Darces from different angles now. <laughs> all of a sudden, and I realize, like, it's, it's so weird. It's such a, a strange sport that by going over some things in your head or going over a few roles that you've seen or, you know, been involved in, all of a sudden, just thinking about it, a new idea clicks in. And I've been realizing how often I'm using it more as a defense, almost. Like, I'm uh-huh. defending underhooks by threatening darces. Right. Where there's other opportunities where I could be shooting it as more of an attack as opposed to the, the a defense attack. And it was yeah. just having the, our little bit of a conversation about it in 140 characters. <laughs> so cool, man. That, sh- that just allowed me to see it. It was almost like a mirror got put up. It was like, oh, there's that side of this of this funny little puzzle. Let me let me go play with that for a minute. Yeah. Well, and then the thing is, too, is like when you really get committed and you're going to have to walk into fear to do it because you're going to feel like, fuck, I'm going to... And, and you might give up position a couple of times and a guy that you're on top of, you might have fucked yourself. But then that's the only way to get better at it is to get into that vulnerability. And, and when you go into like a Japanese necktie off of that darse and you, and you decide, I'm not only going to... I'm not going to really sink the darts in deep. I'm going to keep that vice grip, and then I'm going to fucking jump. I'm going to jump out of position, drive my belly in over the top of his head, and maybe he comes up on top of me if I don't have everything tight. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been but watching it, it like, it's, seeing the, like an uppercut version. It almost looks like an uppercut sometimes, the way yeah. people can dive and duck under the armpit. Yep. But there's that, like what you're talking about, that risk of, oh, I got to kind of fall onto my side. And, like, it's almost like you could give up side control, right? Yeah. Like, that's the danger. But, but, you know, you look at the guys that are good at that stuff. And by that, I mean, like, Pat Berry, Fedor, um, Roy Nelson. You look at guys like that that are jumping into their punches. If they miss, they've given their bat or they're off, they're off balance. Like, Fedor, if he misses a punch, he fucking falls down. Like, he's, he's throwing everything into it, but his timing is so impeccable that he does not miss. Well, you know what I meant? I meant people shooting the darts, like the way the people attacking with the darts, that the the movement looks like an uppercut. You know what I mean? Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like, recognizing yep. that as opposed to, like, a difference from, like, attacking with, like, starting off with the wizard and then turning the wizard into into a darce, you know, like, making that whole transition. And that's one of those things I realized was, like, wow, that's really difficult to do it that way because you have so much distance to cover right? to get the arm through, which I'm sorry for anybody who isn't doing jujitsu. Probably (laughs) this all sounds like Japanese. And you can just leave it at that. I know you're going to say I'm sorry that they're not understanding the conversation, but I'll just say I'm sorry for anybody that isn't doing jujitsu. No, I know. That should be the (laughs) real apology. No, I wanted wanted to geek out, too, because I haven't... I don't think I, I haven't had 
that many jujitsu guys on the podcast. One of my um, one of my early ones, uh, a buddy of mine who's a brown belt under Barrett Yoshida. He uh-huh. initially he was like, "Man, you should come try out this jujitsu thing." And I'd followed him in MMA for a long time. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," you know, like I, I'd love to try it out. And uh, part of me realized, oh, I just said I would do something on record, like that I put it out there for the interweb space. That like something about recording it held me to it, and ended up getting into it. And it's been um, I just realized I've had my blue belt for a year now. Right on. Yeah. I'm pretty psyched. So when did you when did you set up at at Tenth Planet in in San Jose? Well, oh God, it was actually. You know, let's go back further than that. I want to. What was do? What was your blue belt experience like? What was your white belt experience? Was uh, was I was a white belt for a while. The first first tournament I ever did was maybe I want to say it was in two thousand something like that and I went up to Denver and um, you know and it wasn't it wasn't super widespread everywhere at that time yeah and so your weight classes are kind of fucked up I mean you think you know, what a just to have a women's MMA bout coming up on the UFC yeah incredible you know because women's groups kids groups and heavyweights back in the back in grappling days early on dude everybody it's like there's a 17 year old kid and a 10 year old kid there's, there's a woman that's 180 pounds fighting a woman that's 105 pounds. Because yeah. there's only three women in the category. Right. Or in heavy, you know, in the heavyweights, they, everybody over 189 pounds up to 350, you're going to all go together because there's only six of you guys. Yeah. Or whatever, and they, they just have to do that. So the first tournament I went to, I, I fought a guy that was a, a judo black belt that was like 260 pounds, and um, that was a brand-new white belt. I'd done a bunch of stick fights. That was kind of my experience with uh, <laughs> jiu-jitsu at that time. And what we saw that was jujitsu was, or that uh, big fight, if you crash, you go to the ground. And um, and going to the ground, the guy that was lost was the guy that didn't know anything about jujitsu, and he was just waiting to get strangled. And so I started, I got really interested in jujitsu the first time I got tapped a bunch. And so I, I started going to tournaments right away. And then I went to the Hicks and Gracie International, which was a huge deal. I think it was in 2001, I want to say. And uh, they had white belts there, and it was very infrequent that there would be a tournament that came up where you didn't have to be a blue belt. All the big ones, Pan Ams, the Worlds, everything like that, you had to be a blue belt or better. You couldn't compete as a white belt. Oh, really? Um, which is crazy now when you think about it, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, that was, and I, and I won all my fights. I won everything in my weight, and then I won everything in the open division. And uh, I submitted everybody but one guy. I had, like, I don't know, 12 fights that day. And uh, it was dope. It was cool. Nino Shambri was there, like, all these, all these kind of legends, uh, legends were there. Little Crone Gracie, like, who's a monster now. Crone was like, I don't know if he was four or seven or something. He was a little tiny kid, and I remember he crawled up Hickson's side, and, and Hickson had his arm up in the air, standing, and, and Crone cra- gra- grabbed his arm and armbarred his arm while Hickson's standing, you know, with right, his arm up yeah. in the air. It was cool. Just cool shit like that, you know? So were you... And that was all in the gi. Was the gi familiar to you? That was all gi. That was all gi. And I fought in the gi in all my tournaments and everything until I was a purple belt. I took a, took a, a third in the open and a third in my weight at the Pan Ams that year. And then I got on a movie in Santa Fe. I had some fights by then, I guess, um, in like King of the Cage and lo- smaller local shows. 
and uh, I was on a show, The Longest Yard, the Adam Sandler one, and um, and then I got asked to go to L.A. with it. So I, I kind of I had a few fights, and, and I just decided to move, and then that's when I met Eddie. You know, I was on the show with Maurice Smith and Ivan Salaberry, and I uh, got to be really good friends with them. They were there because Bob Sapp was on it, and they were training Bob for uh, for Bob's career. And While he was so fighting the pride? Because Ivan, Ivan was getting ready for a UFC fight, so we train all the time, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then I then they're like, hey, we're going down to going down to the bomb spot in Hollywood. Where are you staying? I said, oh, I'm staying in Hollywood. They're like, well, here's where we're going, man. Uh, Eddie Bravo's down there. He runs a great great class, and he's got his mats open to us. So I went down there, um, and I just fell in love with I mean, because I've been just in the gi, and I, I've done a bunch of no-gi tournaments, too. Yeah. And uh, I was like, well, maybe there's no difference or this or that or whatever. But fuck, man, when I went and I saw this kind of new style of, like, the Greco-Roman Jiu-Jitsu is what, I, I, it just stuck with me. Eddie called it that once. I don't know if he even still does, but I do all the time. It's just like that underhooks, overhooks, real control, really dominion over space. Um, and I was like, fuck, dude, my eyes are open. I, I was like, because here's Jiu-Jitsu in a box, you know, like I was... Yeah. Uh, at a Gracie Baja school and, and uh, really grateful for the solid foundation I got in that. Um, all my no-gi stuff um, was, with, was with Greg Jackson, but uh, everything that we did there was really like stand right up, you know, and, and smash again, like get to your feet and dominate a guy and ground and pound from the top, you know, mm. and, and uh, we were really in that kind of a position in those early days there. And so um, Eddie's guard just blew my mind. And, and his sweeps, like, I was really loving half guard, and, and his half guard game really kind of opened my eyes a lot. And I'd been doing this past that Eddie was like, fuck, man, that's, that's great the way it, it uh, maps out the, the lockdown. And so then, you know, and he named it the buttock compressor. And, and like, just, <laughs> like and, and just watching it grow, being in spaces like that where we watch it grow, you know, we're watching Kimbo Slice, and then Chill Dog comes up, and, and that becomes like a, a spot where you're hanging out in that homoplata hugging the knee, uh-huh. and you can just you can just chill, dog, you know, and, and fucking just, like, those early days of that were really incredible, and, and still now today, you know, even with my students, whether it's in Santa Fe or I'm at, I'm at Scott Epstein's at, at uh, Pet Planet West Side, the dark side, and uh, on Pico, um, it just, you watch it evolve. You watch guys figure shit out, and you watch it evolve, and it's really fucking incredible. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a jiu-jitsu with no walls, and and uh, it's the beautiful thing about jiu-jitsu is what really translated in my life and the Eddie style and, and the reason I wanted to um, always be a part of the Ted's Planet is because it's like if you get better, um, that's great for you usually in life, you know? And if I get better, awesome. And, and we don't think the two are connected. Yeah. And I look at that fallacy, man. When I'm in jiu-jitsu, if I'm, if I'm triangling you every time and I never show you how I set that up, then you never get better. But I never get better either because all I'm doing is doing what I know. Yeah. I'm never going into what I don't know and I'm never honing other skills. But if I teach you what I'm doing, then it forces me to get better. I must have you get better if I'm to get better. I have to have you get better. And that's fucking, that's the beauty of life, man. Yeah, I wonder how much that goes... I feel like that's a common thread throughout most jiu-jitsu guys. Like, I know every white belt that I roll with or or even another blue belt or something that I may know one extra thing that they don't know, I right. always give the tip. You know, like always, I always do. Right? Here's you the always thing. do. And yeah. the dickhead that doesn't, you know? 
And you know what's so weird? Like, this is something I've been thinking about a lot, about how, like, within... There's, like, rivalries amongst schools. Like, particularly right. here in San Diego, there's a lot of schools. So there's, like, this, like, underlining underlying rivalry. Like, we got our secrets, and we don't want to let you know that what our secrets are. Right. And part of me, like, I understand that. Like, I get the that sort of team mentality. But, like, on the other hand, like... I, I almost wish that there was like a facet of jujitsu where it just made it okay to go train with everybody and learn like, like a right. student, you know, yep. would be. That's a, that's a, that's a beautiful thing, man. Uh, you know, they're not all like that too. It's like when you look in, you say, Oh, well, Gracie Baja is like this, you know? And, and that's a big name, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's like, it, it's easy to, easy to throw rocks at the biggest guy, you know? But, um, the fact is, is those are all individually homed. And I know guys that are terrific plots that are never going to succeed. They're the guys that are, you know, they don't want their students to know everything because they want to have dominion and they want to bully their students and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And then there's there's guys, I mean, like these guys down in, in uh, at Gracie Baja, New Mexico, Tusa uh, and Barata, they're, they're both world champions. They're both fucking excellent athletes, and they're both terrific, terrific guys, like just smiley, good, gracious dudes all the time. And and because of that, like, Jardine's down there, Clay Guida's down there, Cubs down there, Isaac Valley Flag's down there, and they're just down there rolling and, and, and soaking up knowledge and exchanging stuff back and forth. And then he's like, Tussle over, and, and he's got a little interest in MMA, and so he can come over and train at, at, at our place over um, at Greg's, you know? And, and there is that exchange that happens, but it's all just, you know, like, the thing is, is I see a lot of these young kids, and they'll post, and uh, they'll put, you know, Grace Baja for life, or whatever, and fuck yeah. all these other guys, or whatever, and I'm like, it's just such a limited viewpoint, it's like, it's like, it's just like nationalism, in, in yeah. a huge way, it's just like, you know, my team's the Broncos, and I love them, and fuck the Jets, or yeah, what, totally. what, you know what I mean, it's that same kind of idiocy, except the, the shame of it is, is I don't know that there's that same enlightenment in football or whatever, and, and I don't know, I'm ignorant of it, I don't know shit about football, I couldn't name three players, but yeah. the, the fact is is that I do know about jiu-jitsu, and jiu-jitsu does have a, a path to enlightenment there, it's got a path to, to a real unity there for everybody, and to make that divisive, like what you're talking about, yeah. I, I agree, man, that's a shame, you know? It's funny, I noticed, um, I did a, a mural at the Shoya Roll Warehouse uh, about a uh-huh. year ago now, maybe, six months, something like that, and uh, it's a portrait of uh, Helio on, on one side and Carlos on the other side. Yep. And all the Gracie Baja guys who come into the warehouse and get their picture taken, they always stand on the Carlos side. And yeah. all the other, uh, whatever the other Gracie system is, right? you know, uh, from the Helio lineage, they all yeah. take the pictures from that side. It's, it's really funny. It is. It's, I mean, it's like, you know... I mean, there's a, there's a guy on Twitter that was blowing it up last week or something. He was, he was talking with one of my boys in Texas, and uh, and you know, it's just he, he was he was all on that like dogging them and who cares about the Gracie? I'm like, well, that's the that's the well from which everything came. Like that's like if you respect Jitsu at all, you you got to give that props. Like yeah. they they worked that shit out. The, the reason that I'm here, the reason Tenth Planet's here, the reason Jake Shields is there, the reason Mark Lehman's there, all these guys that were big bangers in in, uh, in Jiu-Jitsu for America is because of those guys. Like, yeah, exactly. That, that's it, man. You know, I mean, you can talk all you want about whatever. I know, like, Josh Barnett, 
feeling about that. But as far as like you know, you've got this huge, you know, because he's a huge proponent of uh, of catch wrestling and everything. Right. But catch wrestling didn't get people excited about it. And when you, I mean, as much, you know, that was a small group, and, and the way jiu-jitsu spread like wildfire. I think catch wrestlers benefited everybody. Every grappler in the world benefited from that. You know. Yeah. But yeah, and that's that sort of gets back to what I was saying. Like, if we all agree that to a certain extent that this jujitsu thing has a a starting point, like let's all just focus on the actual act as opposed to like the different sects within right the community. But I, I think mean, it's not, so natural. Not like the original is kind of like going fuck a Model T board. I hate that shit. <laughs> yeah. I only like Ferraris. Like, all right. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such. A, I feel like it's such a natural, like territorial thing because you know when you go to tournaments, like how you like represent for yep. your clique or whatever. Yep. But that's just, the thing is that you want to do that too, right? It's like I want to. I mean, I was so happy about jujitsu, man. I just wanted to do well for my coach. Totally. Like every coach I had, I was like, it didn't matter so much about about me as much. But I was just so grateful for the freedom that it gave me just mentally, emotionally, physically, it gave me dominion over myself in a whole different way than I'd ever known. Yeah. And, and, and if the one thing I could do was to go and do well at a tournament and that would come some kind of bring honor to my school in some way, fucking right on, man. That's where my head was at, you know? Yeah. And, and I think the whole, you know, the whole thing about, I mean, there is no separation in that, you know? Yeah. That's the beauty in it. It's a, I've, you know, I've been, I've been, not training very much for the last since you know since the holidays really i think i've only got like one good session in and it's so strange to be able to recognize yourself as like a different person from when you have the training and when you don't have the training like right it's uh, and i it's so obvious that you know i talk about it all the time that if you expend certain energies you don't have the energy to be like a dickhead or like you know get angry in certain spots but yeah yeah there was somebody that was like uh just saying man everybody's so cool you're so you know just mellow and, and laid back and um you know guys talk shit like you you could easily blast that dude in the mouth but you don't or whatever and, and they're like you know they just spent some time with josh barnett and they're like how come guys like you are so cool and like what uh, <laughs> or, or mellow or whatever and like I don't know that I would be if I were. It's like, fuck, we're tired. You know, yeah. <laughs> you train all day. The first thing is, is like the last thing you want to do is go and have some kind of static that's over some dumb shit with some untrained dude that just doesn't know any better anyway. It's like, so you're going to go and it's like I'm going to have a spelling contest with the uneducated. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, how fun is that? Like, awesome. You can't spell cat, but we're going to go in and spell chrysanthemum. And, and I'm gonna, you're going to look silly. Like, I don't even have time, you know? is one thing and the other thing is, is I, I do think that one of the sadnesses you see when you're in a warrior class of people is that there's it just you understand that there's people that just don't know what they don't know yeah like they, you know and, and there's more of a compassion for that than anything else there, that's a, you know that I always use the Wu-Tang line um, how could he know what the fuck he never knew ah, I like that like, I've got that on one of our t-shirts at a at a Planet Jiu Jitsu in um, Santa Fe. We've got to protect your neck in Wu Tang fashion. Nice. 
But it's, yeah. it's that thing. It's like, how can you really be upset with somebody for them not knowing something? Like, it's so often the times that get us the most frustrated and act the dumbest when we expect somebody to know something they have no, yeah. they don't currently have the capabilities of knowing. Well, and the beautiful thing about that is having, you know, having friends like you that can that can say that in um, such a succinct way and a clear way because it's easy to get frustrated with whatever. But the fact is, is like how how am I in continual self reflection about that? About my expectations are crazy for the outside world if I expect this guy to know something that he cannot know. <laughs> yeah. you know I know but, but but I need to kind of be a higher thinker in order to even get to that point. You know. Yeah, it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, but huge and hugely important. You know, and I think that 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 kind of thing it, it goes back to again, like the only guys I like to hang out with at all. Our jiu-jitsu guys, our fighters, like when I'm fighting, like the only, those are my only friends, man. And I'm looking at disdain at people in the fucking line at, at McDonald's, believe me. Yeah. Um, That's and, not, and Trump dude, Swanson is one of those guys in those lines because he's just one of those body types, the son of a bitch. But, uh, That's something I've been missing, too. And <laughs> it's distinctively noticeable that, like, the camaraderie amongst a group of yeah. people who are all going through a similar strain. Yeah builds like a weird family and you know one i think i think as grown men we're supposed to sort of like hang out in the tribe still does that make sense you know i get why people like go to bars and have like a bar crew or like have places that they go to and have like a crew and you want a fellowship it gets harder and harder as people grow into adults and have fucking bills to pay and families to take care of and shit well, but then, isn't that just the shifting of your tribe, right? Because now you have other priorities, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's like the one thing still that, like for, for like Joe and Eddie and myself, like those guys, they're, they're now both married and they're both with kids, right? And, uh, and that's their total priority and everybody understands what that shift is. But we still have, there, there are these other things that are, that are so binding um, about our lives that we're still connected. But for most guys, they don't have those other things that are binding. You know, they, they go, well, I'm going to get a good job. Maybe I'll go to school, whatever. I'll use that degree. I'll get a good job. I'll get married. Um, you know, I'll, I'll have the church on Sunday, and I'm going to live this life. And, and that's what they told me to do when I was a little kid. Yeah. And they never considered that the people that told them to do that when they were little kids didn't know a fucking thing. And they're just like, that's what we did. And I guess <laughs> that's success because we've got this house now that I've got a, a mortgage on. And, and, and nobody ever lived outside of that. But the thing you start considering then is that if I can really live any kind of way and the universe only wants me happy and positive, what does that really look like if these things aren't bringing me that? You know, and a buddy of mine told me a long time ago, he goes, dude, in this life, if you're not smiling most of the time, you're doing it wrong. you got to make a difference. Yeah. And that's the biggest, the biggest part of like when you're talking about the tribe and the, the familiarity and fidelity of that. Is that you know if I'm if I'm on this uncharted road and, and which is like being a fighter or whether you're an actor, a fighter, a comic, whatever it is, you need like-minded people that are unreasonable around you because the reasonable people are working as accountants at the car wash and doing whatever they're doing, right? Yeah. And you need those unreasonable people to go, no man, try, try to excel, you know. And that and that's the thing that I think is fascinating about athletes of all kinds because. It's unreasonable to think that you're going to be a, a pro basketball player. It's unreasonable, you know. But 
but just because there's a goalie doesn't mean you can't score. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like the guy that tries and that puts it out there. I love that line in The Alchemist where uh, that Paulo Polo writes about it. He says, whenever a man is striving towards his destiny, the whole universe conspires to help him meet his goal. And that's fucking true, and it's huge, and it's a universal law. And you just have to suspend your disbelief and suspend your fear enough to get into motion towards that goal. Yeah. So you get frustrated a lot because you try to orchestrate and put everything in its place and get a desired outcome. You're putting those things in its place because you want the outcome, Tate. Yeah. And I go, yeah, doesn't everybody do that? That's, you know, what the fuck? What else do you expect? <laughs> yeah. And he says, Tate, you need to be in the action business, not the results business. And just be in the action business just for the benefit of being able to help your fellows. That's it. Just help create that kind of positive outcome for your friends wherever possible. And that's all you got to do. Man, hold on, hold on one second. You got to leave the results up to the universe. You got to take your head out of that. You're in the action business, not the results business. Because every time I've been in the results business, I'm like you're saying, I'm disappointed or I'm, you know, I'm getting disheartened about anything but man when i'm just in the action business fucking cool i'm just doing i'm just doing good shit and, the, and i can leave the results somewhere else doesn't matter what happens because the fact is i i've never not been taken care of you know i've yeah. never been and that's what i'm always afraid of is that the other shoe is going to drop but the bottom's going to fall out <laughs> i don't have any experience of that happening or i want to be here talking to you right now yeah but i've got that fear that you know i've got that innate human fucking fear or lack of faith, or whatever it is, that I have to I have to work against, and it goes back to again why like when I'm fighting, I'm only hanging out with fighters. Why why right now my life is only constructed of positive people that are that are moving towards a direction of, of real fulfillment and, and attaining their needs like nutritionally, nutritionally, physically, on a spiritual level, and on a communal level, and trying to spread that positivity out to others. Still, do you and feel that's the, that's the movement I'm in, man? And I don't have time for people that are detractors of that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so in yeah. that is a real empowerment. Do you feel like, you know, like you're you're flowing with the stream, like flowing down river as opposed to, I'm sure you yeah. felt the feeling of swimming up river? It's funny, I use that analogy a lot. I go, you know, if I'm in the action business, like you ever float down a river before? Yeah, yeah. You just, like if you're just in a life jacket and you're floating on your back down river, you've got your feet pointed down and you're just, gently cleaning off any rocks or whatever, just pushing away, and then you continue your float. And that's kind of like being in the action business to me. And if I'm in the results business, I need to get to shore by that tree right now, and then I'm swimming frantically, and I drown <laughs> on the way to the fucking tree, because I can't swim against nature, man. I can't swim against the universe. And and, and something that Eddie Bravo was talking about maybe a year ago now, and, and he's just talking about the vibration that the, that the world works on, you know? And, and he, he's talking about... I don't know if it's like 540 megahertz or something, but there's a, there's a quantifiable vibration that the universe hums at. And getting ourselves into that place, like it, it can be done with sex, meditation, unconditional love, and appreciation. And he says, Tate, the more you're in appreciation all the time, the more positive your life is going to be generated on this universal level. And it's been absolutely true. And, and it doesn't happen by default. It takes continual examination and, and continually putting myself in conversations like this and continually looking looking towards just where can I be positive and where can I just be so appreciative about where I am right now. That's, that's great, man. I think that's... Especially a, as an American, for God's sake. 
You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, we've got everything here. It's like there, there's nobody, there's nobody even that I know at this point in my life that's looking like I'm going to be hungry tonight. I don't know how I'm going to eat, or that doesn't know where they can go to turn a tap and water's going to come out. They can drink from. Yeah, right. Fucking, we don't, we don't even understand how good we have it, you know. And, and that's one of the things that Eddie was trying to put on me. He's like, dude, you've got all of this. Not only that. You're, you're, you've had fucking careers that people would kill for, and you've had, like, three of them. You know, like, whether it's, I mean, even, like, aspiring, you know, aspiring to be a, a fighter. You're, you're a professional athlete. You're a stuntman. You're an actor. It's like any of that stuff, let alone just being a free person in America that's not worried that the death squads are going to come and drag you out of your house, that's not worried that you, you posted something subversive to the government online and they're going to come after you, or, yeah, yeah. Or, that, or that your girlfriend's going to while she's going to get water from the river on the on the four day trip it takes to get there like it's like there's you know there's all that i know i just shit on myself recently like i was just having a bad day you know like bills to pay and like the typical like frustrating routine and i went and i, I was cleaning my my paintbrushes out in the sink or i was washing my hands and i like with the mirror in front of me i looked at myself i was like look at how easy it is for you to just come over here and wash your hands Right. And have perfectly clean, drinkable water go down your sink while you just flush the toilet. Like, your problems are not nearly as bad as they seem. Even though I still felt like shit still, like, for the yeah. bad day, you know? There it, was a it point of perspective. that little bitch inside you to shut up for a second. It gives it a little bit of a reprieve. It's like, yeah, I get it, man. Because we all, I mean, we've all got that voice. And it's like, how do I become the master of that voice, you know? Yeah. And that's one thing, I don't know, I've been posting, and, and I, I, you know, I've, I named my, my podcast State Bulletproof with Tate Fletcher. Nice. And uh but that this guy, the bulletproof exact dude, he's he's got this thing that he does. He says he goes for seven days, there's a ten ton magnet, he does all these exercises over seven days and he really gets a, a new dominion and kind of mastery over his, his like reptilian brain and his higher higher consciousness. Hmm. And he says and, and, and I don't know, I'm really super interested and I'm supposed to go to his seminar on uh the 18th of this month, and uh, I'm excited to talk more about all that. Nice. What's um? Can we talk about your podcast a little bit? What uh? You just, yeah, you just started yeah, yeah. recording it, yeah? Well, I just I've just got a, a couple of. I did one with uh, two of my great friends. One is a, a student, uh, my gym manager here, a guy named Nate Harris. He's gonna he'll be uh, competing actually out at Gracie Nationals here in a couple weeks, and uh, looking to do real well at a purple belt level. Do you think we're going to see? Uh, do you think we're going to see more of the um, the submission only tournaments popping up? Yeah, that's the only ones that my guys are really excited about. Like, is, is the submission only? You know, it's yeah. like, but we find so much, and it's, it, it's so true too in my key training. You know, um, you know, fuck, you get a sweep, dude, and you just want to hold on to that sweep. You don't have to do anything else. You just have to chill for the remainder of the clock. You know? Yeah. And I wait for, and that's what Mario Sperry is one of my heroes, and, and that's what he'd always say. You know, you get the takedown, you pass. Now do nothing. He has to move. He has to make a mistake now. Yeah. And that's what you're counting on is you're counting on the other guy to fuck up. And that was the one thing too I loved about Eddie Bravo, man. And, and I, um, you know, I'll ride his dick some more here, but he, uh, you know, he had fucking pathways. Like here's a path: A, B, C, D, checkmate, motherfucker. And, and that's huge because what I know is, I, I, you know, you learn submissions and, you know, here's a Kimura, here's a guillotine, here's an armbar. Here's how they come up, you know. 
and then you fire on them when they come up. Right. But it's not like, here's how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be mounted. I'm going to lock the head and arm. I'm going to go up in the gangster lane. I'm going to control the wrist. I'm going to step over through the hole. I'm going to grab my own foot, still holding on to his, his lee arm. Then I'm going to connect. I'm going to do a top triangle. It's not like that. You know what I mean? It's like, well, here's what a top triangle would look like if it occurred. But like, when I, when I started watching Eddie break his, break his system down, and I was like, God, these are just simple, succinct movements. And if you stay tight on every one, you cannot fail. Right. And that's huge. And so, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking for just sweeps or just a takedown and then hold the guy is one thing. When I'm looking to strangle a dude, like, that's a whole other thing, you know. And, and I think that's what those submission-only things are because guys are mad about, about killing a guy because, look, if you go for a long, 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 long time, you're going to be tired. You're only going to have one match because the next match you're going to be spent. Yeah. But a guy that's got cracked submission, man, I remember I watched Braulio Esquema and we're in uh, Santa Barbara is where the Pan Ams were that year. And Braulio was there as a brown belt and I was in a bracket with uh, Romeo and he's a bad dude, man. Wow. But uh, I watched him do crazy shit too. Just incredible jiu-jitsu, man. Those two guys. But Braulio that year, he had like seven or eight matches. Jesus. And he was on the mat for like a minute and 40 seconds combined. For all of those matches, it's it amazing. It's that he just tapped everybody, bang, 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 at the highest level. That's you know? wild. That's hard to do. Yeah, and so I think it's like that. You know, you've got some guys that are like outliers that are like that that are doing that, whether it's gear or no gear or whatever. But I think there's no time limit. It really it, it it turns up the heat and the value of of us just getting to a finish of just yeah. you know really hump that. You know, I uh, have you cool. seen. Have you seen, did you see the thing that uh, Lloyd Irvin's doing? The rape thing? No, no, no. I, I saw that story, but I didn't, I didn't read it. He did, uh, he did uh, Kumite. This, oh, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, with his brown belt. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I, I haven't seen any of the matches, but it sounds awesome from all the reviews I've been seeing about it. Yeah, it's, they put up, I guess, I guess the first episode. And uh, so uh, there's something like 15 brown belts, and they all fight each other in both gi and no gi through oh, a awesome. series of, of matches. But yeah, That's the so first cool. one is up now. And it's all no time limit, submission only. Yep. Yep. You can I think it's the so knee. valuable, too, dude. I think guys rob themselves with the, uh, you know, when we were talking earlier about dudes coming in, I want to do MMA or, or whatever. Um, to not go through all those tournaments and not know all all the guys that are there. It's like coming up, dude. It's like you know, guys in my bracket were Jeff Monson and and, uh, and and Keith Jardine and and um, you get you get to see all the the Rich Franklins and the Joe Riggs and all that stuff at at tournaments everywhere. Yeah, and and it's like that's incredible to me. You know, like right before um, Roberto Traven, uh, you know, who is like kind of the he made the Spider Guard really really popular. And he got finished by Frank Mir. Like, four months before that, I'd lost to Frank Mir in a, in a key match by two points, like, at a grappler's quest. You know, yeah. it's, like, it's like, it's like there's that kind of thing, and it's like, it's, I don't know, to me, I'm really, I'm happy and proud of all those memories, and and, uh, and that's where you get all that. That's where you get kind of that fortitude to be able to, to be able to fight in that kind of way, to be able to um, express yourself in that way fully. Your your podcast is going to go up on the Death Squad thing once Brian yeah. gets his shit together. Yeah. yeah, Brian says he's a little bit overrun right now, and um, but 
I sent them out to them a couple of days ago, I guess. And just kind of, you know, getting a feel of the format and, and um, keeping conversation moving and all that kind of stuff. But like I said, I've had a couple really good ones. Nate Harris uh, and Maynard Del Mar were on one and going to a lot of, like, just different commentary. But um, are you fi- Is it fighter-focused? No, these guys, these guys are, are not that way at all. Like, Maynard's an old DJ in dance clubs and stuff and nightclubs all around the country and from L.A. to... Miami. Yeah, because you and, do a, uh, you do a lot of different stuff besides just the the jujitsu and and fighting. You you act. Yeah, and... it's been a full life for sure, for sure. Yeah, I've got well, I've got like right now. I mean, I've got a school. I try to train as much as I can. I um, trying to work full time in film. Like right now, I'm on the last season of Breaking Bad, and, um, nice. and then I got a little thing. I guess I got a few days of. I don't know if I'm doubling a guy. Steven Seagal's got a movie going out right now, and they were talking about if I'm doubling him or something. I know i got some days of work coming up this Gotta week. Got to work your front that. kicks. What's that? Front kicks? Got to work your front kicks. All I know is you got to wear a cuff around him all the time because he tries to hurt everybody he can. Really? That's yeah. fucking fun. He's got, a, he's got a horrific reputation. Jesus. Uh, it's no secret. He's got, a, he's got a video, I think, on YouTube called Cock Puncher. That he's just known for attacking dudes' groins. He's like got a fetish about it or something i'm not really certain i fucking loved um, his movies in the 80s <laughs> well that's where we all learned about arm breaks right so yeah, yeah there's, there's all that going on i got a nightclub called concrete cowboy in uh in dallas which is doing real well and um what else is going keeping on? it renaissance keeping it renaissance you know just trying to stay american with it <laughs> I got, I got a, I just, uh, you know, my hands are in a lot of different things, and I think the biggest thing that I'm most excited about, are, yeah, are these podcasts, and I look about it, you say, the fighter-focused, it's like, yeah, the last one, it's like I'm sitting, I'm talking, my, my buddy Isaac Valley Flag, at Ike Valley Flag on Twitter, and, and uh, he's one of my oldest friends from Michigan, and, and we kind of came out to New Mexico, he came out like four or five years after me, and he started fighting then, and, and now he's got his first fight coming up against Eve Edwards on February 2nd um, on the UFC. Nice. And uh, so he and, he and I are rapping, and Little John and, and Cub, and then Guida walks in, and then Izzy Martinez walks in, and so it's kind of a mess of the hodgepodge, but it's super fucking interesting. And I and I just, you know, I've got a thing set up with Greg Jackson coming up shortly, and, and uh, I want to talk to Jardine a little bit, even though he's a man of very few words. I want to see what I can get him going on. Yeah. But uh, you know, the thing that's so interesting to me is, is like these guys are fucking outliers, you know. And, Talking to guys like you, I talked to Mike Coderan, or um, you know these, these guys that are kind of these fringe artists that are everywhere. Uh, a buddy of mine, he does um, he's at at Destroy, Rebuild, Repeat, and he does a lot of street art. Mm-hmm. But but you know dudes that are making it happen, it's like all these little movements everywhere, and again, right flying in the face of everybody that says here's how you ought to do it, or here's what you should do instead, <laughs> yeah. staying true to that and doing this unreasonable thing. And one of the things that came up on this last podcast with Little John. I, I've been knowing John for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. And uh, and there wasn't a 125 weight class. There was no way he was going to fight in a big show. It was impossible. Yeah. You know, much like it was impossible that a woman was ever going to fight in the UFC. And the guy that ran that shit said as much over and over again. And you could have said that at the beginning of 2012 and it could still be legitimate. It, it's amazing, you know, and, and, and so you look at that, like, 
sorry, there's zero possibility of your dream coming to fruition. And these people didn't stop. You know, Ronda Rousey, she, she didn't stop. Julie Kedzie, she's not stopping. You know, it's Michelle Waterman. You've got all these people that are out there that are like, I'm going to do this anyway. Little John couldn't think of another life that he would rather live than performing, even if he's going to fight small shows around the country forever. Yeah. And he keeps doing it, and he's going to fight for a title, you know, in, in a couple weeks here. And it's like, that's the kind of thing. It's that kind of heart, that kind of drive. It's like, that's what we need, man. We need the dreamers. We don't need people playing it safe all the time. You know, I mean, it's great to have that, and I'm glad that my garbage gets emptied on Tuesdays when they come by. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's awesome, and it's really not a dig. I'm not trying to talk shit. But I could never be that guy, and if I could have been that guy, I fucking would have. I swear to God, like, I would have given up and done that right away if I could have. But I'd rather kill myself, man. There's, yeah. just, there's, there's a drive in me that will not allow that. I, I couldn't, there's no way I'm going to go to law school and finish that. There's no way I'm going to sit at a desk. You know, I just, I'm not cut like that. And you know what? That's universal amongst creative types, man. There's this weird little fire that uh, people in any type of creative profession where you're making something that didn't exist before you made it. Is that right? Yeah. The, the, you know, that's the trip you said that, that didn't exist before you made it. Because, like, for me, I always felt like killing myself. Then I'm like, well, I am fucking up. And these people, they clearly know because they have a mortgage and a car payment. And I don't have that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. different things that I thought made them, like, reliable in their words. And I'm like, it could just be that they just don't fucking know either, you know? Um, but a buddy of mine, he, uh, he owns this thing at Santa Monica called Functional Fitness on the Bluffs. And it's like a CrossFit-type spinoff, but he does, he gets people, and he's got a huge following. They go and they do functional movements um, and get great workouts down in, in this park outside. And he, he wrote one time, he goes, man, he says, it's such a trip. He says, I'm out here um, making a living at a job that I thought up in my head. You know, and it's yeah. like, he, he, and he's got this whole movement. He's got a fish oil company now, Original Nutritionals, and he's doing all this different shit, and it's all spreading out. But you pay attention to that one fucking detail that you love, that you must do, that you can't not do. Yeah. There's no way I can avoid doing this. If you do that one fucking thing, and I don't care if it's like, I like to pick up fucking toothpicks off the ground. <laughs> yeah. You do that one thing, man, and it's going to grow into something fantastic. And when it grows into something fantastic, you're going to be a master at it. And somebody's going to want you as a master at that. And that, you'll make your living. It fucking happens. I've seen it all over the place. Yeah, nonstop. I think that's a beautiful spot to end this thing. Right on, dude. Right on. All right, brother. I want to thank you again for taking the time to shoot the shit with me, bro. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, anytime, man. And uh, when I get my shit together more, I'm going to have to be face-to-face with you because I don't know how to do this over a phone yet. But uh, I can barely send emails. But uh, (laughs) I'm getting this thing together, and and we'll talk more. And I look forward to I really want to talk to you about you know, your art and a, and an outlet for that and, and how you've been getting that and just all the different ways, like, you know, now it's viral. Now you're not taking paintings maybe to a gallery or trying to get a, uh, somebody to market your stuff and like what all that looks like. Cause that looks like a, a huge undertaking in itself. But so anyway, um, maybe, maybe just noodle on that. And I, I really, I'm super interested in all that. My mom's an artist and she's got her own thing about it. So I'm really interested to talk to guys like you just about how you go about doing that. Yeah, man, I, I'd be down for sure. You guys, there's a lot of creative types in your area. A lot of artists come out of that that Santa Fe, New Mexico, yeah, for region sure. for sure. Well, and if you ever want to come here, um, you know, I've got a I've got a house. Nate rents a room from. I've got an extra spot you can stay. Like regardless, if I'm here or not or whatever. You got you got a spot here, brother. Beautiful. 
All right, my man. Thank you again for um, for taking the time, dude. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. All right, brother. Yeah, man. We'll talk to you. All right. Have a good day. All right. Bye-bye. All right,